0: Hello and welcome back to Lutheran Answers. We are moving into season two because I forgot to upload stuff for like two and a half months. And so I figured uh, if I just call it a new season, that makes that okay. And so today we're going to be listening to my interview with my good friend Rachel as we talk about her journey out of Pentecostal theology and into the comforting arms of confessional Lutheranism. I hope you enjoy. On my brand new podcast, Legit R and R with Rachel and Remy. Rachel, how you doing?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: Doing great. Doing great. Good. You have a good Sunday.
1: Yes, I did. I went to divine service, and then I went and got coffee with my best friend. So it was oh, fun. That's nice. Yeah,
0: that's nice. We went and got a Christmas tree, so it was. Nice. You know, second week of advent and we're, we're getting the tree but it's okay that's okay you know, i
1: did that yesterday we went and got a live tree and decorated it so there you go yeah yeah All you don't want to be too too you don't want to be too early because you gotta like sink into advent a little bit
0: that's it that's it yeah 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 you don't want to be one of those people that gets their tree like the day after thanksgiving
1: yeah like everybody <laughs>
0: Like everybody, I don't want to be everybody. You no, want to be unique,
1: exactly. Party to the party.
0: <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about our mutual heritage in yeah. Pentecostalism.
1: Oh yes, so exciting. please
0: tell tell me about the kind of church you grew up in.
1: Okay, um, so I grew up in the Assemblies of God, which is a pretty like pretty mainstream conservative, um, denomination, um, of Pentecostals. So very much into speaking in tongues, um, and, um, you know, kind of that charismatic element. Um, it was a pretty large church that I grew up in. I, I, I didn't actually do like basically any, church hopping I for the first 14-15 years of my life I was in the same church um it's pretty big suburban one um it wasn't like the most the most Pentecostal it can't you know that there are uh, is possible Mm -hmm. there are different gradations but I would consider this one pretty like mainstream you know raising your hands during worship a lot of contemporary worship um there are occasional traditional services um lots of programs. I was a Sunday school teacher when I was in middle school um for the younger <laughs> <Solid>. kids. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. I was the Sunday school teacher with, you know, um, well, I kind of helped with Sunday school and um raising hands. I was part of the youth group for a while um in middle school and early, early high school. Um but contemporary worship um, very kind of impassioned motivational speaking type sermons mm-hmm. um, very much you know taught to uh, read my Bible and pray every day which was kind of hard <laughs> and not always attained um, by yours truly um, but I was uh, you know catechized on um, Wednesday nights even though we didn't call it catechesis um, we had you um, Kind of catechism stuff. I even sewed my own confirmation dress. So, yeah. Oh, nice! Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah.
0: Y'all had like a confirmation thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was a oh, whole. Wow. Pro- we had a whole program, so it was like, you know, they had like they had different like grade names for all the different like catechesis things. It was part of Missionettes or Impact, and then they had Royal Rangers for the oh, boys. Oh yeah, so,
0: yeah. So we okay. did.
1: We did. Um. So those. Like preschoolers was rainbows and then first grade girls were the daisies and then it went to primroses and then stars. And then at the end, the um, girls, I don't know what the Royal Rangers did, but the girls they had a thing called the Crowning. So you would get to wear a white dress and a tiara, and your dad would walk you down the church aisle and you would be like confirmed. Except it wasn't like called like a confirmation. Yeah. But that's essentially. Also what a it was. little weird. It, it is also a little, a little odd. weird. It is a little odd. Yeah. But it was special. Um, but yeah, I had very puffed sleeves. It was a fun time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is a little bit like looking back, I'm like, oh wow, that is like scary. like.
0: Yeah, wearing a odd. white dress and letting your dad walk you down the down yeah. the aisle to get a crown. That's it's weird. It's it is weird. a little
1: odd, yeah. It's like it's a little it's a little bit too. It, it, it seems a little too much like a wedding for like a fifth grader, but yeah. I, I guess we're all the, the bride of Christ in some way, but it, just <laughs> mentally those connections are, yeah. are not evident until a little later on, but it's still, it was still something really special that puffs leaves. Um, fun time.
0: So what drew you to Lutheranism?
1: Um, that's a great question it was kind of funny because Roman Catholicism was the thing that kind of shoved me into Lutheranism. Hmm. This is, this is a little weird. So like, um, I was in my church, like I mentioned, um, for about 14, 15 years. And, um, a lot of things had happened with that church that we just didn't think it was going the right direction. So we decided to leave. And my, my dad had, um, you know, he's been in church his whole life. He was a pastor's kid. So he knows the church grind really well. Um, so he's like, I want my kids to understand they like there are more traditions than just this one. Because we had always been Pentecostal, always assemblies of God. Um, and so we hadn't really visited a ton of other churches. Um, you know, we had like prayer groups and other, you know, and like have been to a few others, but not like consistent members. So um for about I would say about three years, we didn't really have a church home. Like that was like ours that we stayed at. Um, We started hopping around and visiting like we visited um, an Episcopal church, which was quite a unique experience. It's like my first time being to like a high church service, but Mm -hmm. it was like the pews were like empty. There was like a bunch of old people and like one like young dude in his like zip up hoodie who like sneaked into the back pew. (laughs) Like it was very like, yeah. It's very much what you would expect. Um sadly. I,
0: yeah, I went to I went to a Methodist church once that was very similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was just like, yeah. oh, okay, this is how it works. Um and so that was kind of cool because like I was kind of raised old school Pentecostal. Like my church wasn't old school in like the way that it didn't have a ton of hymns or like a ton of of that kind of sense of a little bit more formality or kind of um higher sense of reverence it was definitely like a lot more just like you know most of the other kids that i grew up around with like went to public school kind of you know were more engaged with popular culture and i was kind of raised in like a hymns and being i was homeschooled and kind of a little bit more separated from all of that so i had a a different kind of mentality when it came to church um that i don't think as many of my peers did so Mm -hmm. i think that was something when i went to the Episcopal church that was something interesting. I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Um, then we, but it, it, you know, it didn't seem like a very lively church, so that wasn't the place um, to be. I think we also hopped around to some other Pentecostal churches. Um, we visited a Presbyterian church for a while, um, PCA. Um, so conservative Presbyterian church for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, I took confirmation classes there, but I just couldn't swallow the Calvinism. It just, it just didn't work. Um, it was a good church, but I, it just, something wasn't right. Um, we went to a Southern Baptist church for a while. It was a really beautiful historic one with like stained glass windows and like little bluegrass band. It was really cute. Um, very nice with the red carpet and all that. Um, and like the white shiplap. Um, was kind of fun. But um, I think like that whole time my sister had been studying um theology when she was in early high school and she had stumbled into Calvin's Institutes. And then ah. Yeah, I know. Calvin seems to be the gateway drug for a lot of um mm-hmm. <laughs> um progression into a uh, higher theology. So she started that because we were um, studying that when we were at a half homeschool, school, half private school, kind of co-op um, school. And then she kind of hopped into like learning about Lutheranism. So when we were going through the church hopping and, you know, church searching kind of exposure experience, she had um, this time had stumbled into Lutheran confessions and really wanted to attend a Lutheran church service. So we ended up kind of finally going to a couple of Lutheran congregations in the area. Um, um, all of which were LCMS. So I don't think we visited the ELCA or anything else in town. Solid,
0: Yeah. Go dad. Um, dad, Good job. Um,
1: (laughs) yeah. So no offense to
0: my ELCA friends. I have a lot. I love you guys,
1: but, but yeah, LCMS (laughs) is where it's at. Um, so we had, and it's, you know, well known in the area. So, um, we we went to one that it wasn't very liturgical, so it didn't really seem like we were like we were trying to leave the contemporary worship behind. Um, it just didn't seem like it was offering
0: right. altogether
1: that that much um, more than what we had already seen. Um, and then we had visited another smaller congregation, but then we stumbled into, I think actually during Advent, which was kind of interesting because now it's probably like the five, four year anniversary of that or fifth year anniversary or sixth year anniversary of that. I've been Lutheran four years, but it took me a while to kind of, to kind of get there. Um, like we just walked into the congregation, my sister and I attend now and it was advent i'm pretty sure cuz i remember i was wearing a puffer vest so it was cold <laughs> and like i was trying to like kind of fumble my way and bumble my way through the lsb and divine service mm-hmm. setting and like what is this order of service like paper insert and then this hymnal and i'm like flipping <laughs> back and forth between the two like what are these page numbers you know like we start on page 184. What? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think that's kind of like where we kind of eventually just landed there. And my sister was like, okay, I know what I want. I love this. I'm here. And so it wasn't hard for her to just kind of hop in um, after attending confirmation classes. But for me, it was a much longer process of I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know what faith is anymore. I don't understand. Like this is happening all while I'm in high school. So like everything's just like crashing and hitting me like emotionally and mentally. I'm like, what? Like, this is a lot to process for a young person. Like, okay, faith is already a hard thing for anyone to grasp sometimes, but then also having the complexity of like, Where is your spiritual home water? Like concrete, specific things you believe. Mm. That is just kind of a lot for like a very emotional, like 15 year old (laughs) to kind of (laughs) deal with. Um, And then, you know, it's like every one of my family is very opinionated. So you've got like, oh, well, they say this, they say, you know, this person says this, this person says that. And I'm just like, "What, what is going on? And it took me a very long time to kind of just kind of... Come to a point where I realized, oh, I should, you know, probably believe something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, there are there are basic tenets of the faith, you know, that I think any any Christian will believe like Christ died for you. There are certain moral things that are just right and wrong. But, you know, when it comes to specifics like teachings on baptism or repentance or what do you do when you feel guilty about things or. How do we, you know, answer these that this that are the other question? Um, you know, eschatology is a big deal in the Pentecostal church, so maybe we can talk about that yeah. later. Um, big deal. Big big deal. Um, like, how do you address all these things? Um, and I think at the end of the day, what kind of drove me into the Lutheran church was like there, like I see that there's all this substance and there are specific things that this church believes in. And like, I realized I don't have any of that. Mm. And I didn't feel like I had, like I was trying to, I remember I was trying to read paradise lost in high school but I didn't really have a church home. And I was like, I don't know what to think about this text because Milton's just like talking about all this complicated theological stuff. And I just looked at my teacher. She was Catholic. I was like, can you please just tell me what to think? I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, and my other classmate was just like, Rachel, it's not that hard. Like, calm down. I'm like, no, I don't understand. <laughs> like, what do I actually need to believe about this? Like, this seems off. but I don't know how to articulate that. I don't even know what I, I think about this that or the other thing so it was just kind of i kind of had this sense of not feeling grounded in specifics of theology um you know i had very strong principles like laid down really well by my parents and my family um very very like moral upbringing but i just didn't know how to kind of process that and assimilate that into a specific kind of way of viewing the world theologically, just because I was I was very young, um and didn't know how to like articulate my need for that, I suppose, or understand that there was a need for that at some point. Right. And so it took a long time and I was just kind of I think I was in the Lutheran church like visiting for like two years. Um wow. before I actually like um finally like took confirmation vows because I had seen my sister um, go through confirmation and she was a communing member for um, I think she was like only a visitor for like maybe uh, probably less than a year. I don't even quite remember. Um, But I was just like, I don't understand. I'm not a communing member, which also just feels weird because you see everyone else going up for communion, but you're not. Mm -hmm. And like, at least the way I grew up that Eat. that just wasn't the thing. Um, right. and I did try to kind of embrace and understand the, the understanding of closed communion. I just, you know, it still kind of was sad and stressful, um, to kind of process. But, um, I think what kind of finally pushed me into gear was I'm sick of not knowing what I believe. I need to pick something and just like work with it. And as, yeah. as inglorious as that sounds, like God works no, mysterious it's the way, ways. man, it, it's just how it yeah. is.
0: It is. Um, it is. There's there's so much stuff in Lutheran theology that when I got into it, I OK, the sacraments, I was good with the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. I was good with baptism like they, it took me a while to kind of get over it. But well, I would say the Lord's Supper is actually probably the thing. Um, Because baptism took me a while to get over it. But then I realized, oh, it's God doing the baptizing. So then it does the stuff because God's the one doing the thing, not me, not the priest. God is the one doing the thing. And once I realized baptism was God's work, I found myself sort of fairly Lutheran. And I said, okay, so their doctrine on the Lord's Supper, if I'm going to be a Lutheran, I'm just going to believe the thing Lutherans believe. You know, and you just at some point, you just have to plant yourself into something and say, take it or leave it. Here we are. Yeah,
1: that's exactly how I felt, because I remember, I think I was about to go into my senior year of high school. So I think I was 16 going on 17 when I took confirmation classes and I was kind of sitting there going through it because I was like, "Okay, I need to like actually like take some action on my dissatisfaction with kind of floating here for three years and Mm -hmm. not knowing anything and just kind of being miserable because that will make you miserable. Not having an understanding of where do you, where does your comfort and salvation come from? It doesn't come from your works, but you're still like, I thought my works were a proof and like, and then I just feel like trash all the time. And like, I hate this. So like maybe I should do something about this because I hate, I hate my life. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, it, um, when
0: I was when I was in a Cal- when I was into Calvinism, mm-hmm. I had this I had this constant feeling like, oh gosh, I feel like I'm trash all the time, and there's nothing I can do about that, mm-hmm. and like there's no way to fix that. And then when I became a Lutheran, I realized I am trash.
1: Yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, like
0: I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed trash. Right. Like, yeah. Before I imagined myself as like the stuff floating out in the Great Garbage Patch in the Pacific. Oh, no. And now I realize I'm more like that that dresser that got bought at a yard sale for $2 and got a new coat of paint and some new finishings. And you know now I'm worth are- like $380. You know what I mean? Like Woo-hoo, It's like a different kind new. of trash.
1: Yes. Like... <laughs> Upcycled. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Oh man. Wow. Yeah, that's how I felt. I just kind of you know
0: yeah. felt miserable. I'm renaming the podcast now, Upcycled by Christ. Oh, that's, that's awesome. The new yes, yeah. yes.
1: Going green. Um <laughs> with new life. Anyway, we're regenerated. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, (laughs) But I, so I took confirmation classes, but... And like my, my pastors took me through, um they didn't, they did like a little curriculum alongside the Augsburg confession. So they gave me like a nice reader's edition of the, uh, of the book of Concord and we went through like, oh, wow. the con- yeah, so I have like the nice CPH one that I got for $0. It was free 99. Um, nice. So I yeah. got that one
0: for Christmas from my wife in nice. 2018, lovely uh, right after we became Lutherans and awesome. After we got confirmed. So we went for one Sunday. Mm-hmm. My wife, on the first Sunday we ever visited, told Joe that I was considering ministry. Um, and so then, the I think that Saturday, um, that Wednesday, Joe and I met for breakfast. And then that Saturday, I think... Joe and me and my wife sat and went through the catechism together. And then he said, congratulations, you're confirmed. And then that was, then he bought me a beer. That's what I got. I got a beer.
1: That's awesome. Wow. Now yeah. I, I need to go visit Joe now just to.
0: <laughs> oh, Joe's great. Joe's great. Sound
1: great. Yeah. Wow. So wow. I I was offered a Lutheran study Bible too, but I like declined because I was like not sure if I was going to convert or not, and I like kind of regret that I didn't. But like, do that you I have just one declined. now? No, I should.
0: Oh my god. I know, Rachel. As, I know.
1: I know. I, I need to the get one. The study
0: notes are so okay. amazing. I,
1: okay, if they are, I need to buy one or put it on. Oh, well, my birthday's in June, so I could put it on my birthday wish wish list.
0: You should, you should okay. put it on your birthday wish list. Okay. Yeah, I'll
1: be like, mom and dad, give an arm and a leg to CPH for this. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs>
0: yeah. no, no, it about it. is too. I one um, time I tweeted at CPH. I was like, hey, how much money do I have to spend with you people before I get a T-shirt? And they DM'd me and asked me for my address and sent me a T-shirt and a coffee mug.
1: Oh, I love that! Oh, that's so lovely! Oh my goodness, God bless them. They they do they do good work. Um, They um have some really good texts. I have the Lutheran service book. I got that for my nineteenth birthday gift. That was my big gift that year. It has my name. It has my name embossed on
0: it. it. You have it just right there too. Yeah,
1: I had it because I just came in. Um, but so I was seventeen confirmation classes but i was like very confused um and still like really uncertain about the sacraments because i i grew up Pentecostal where like you believe in baptism in the holy spirit so i had water baptism Mm, yeah and it's called water baptism it's 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 not just baptism it's water baptism i had water baptism because it doesn't count yeah it doesn't it's not spiritually efficacious so um in, in the same way that we understand it to be now but Um, I had water baptism when I was about eight or nine. And so I always understood that as like a public profession of faith. And then there's baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the speaking in tongues element. And so those two things were kind of separate in my mind. And then communion was just kind of a remembrance and a more kind of, you know, something you should be respectful of and have reverence towards. But it wasn't the same kind of understanding of it um having any um power to absolve you of your sins and so i just mentally was just like i don't understand this like this was so cat like the the sacraments were like just mentally counterintuitive to what i was so used to believing and thinking that i i just didn't feel like i could convert at the end of that confirmation class and i remember there was a i had a fellow confirmation um classmate it was a really small class it was just me and another guy and he was there with his girlfriend because she was lutheran and he was roman catholic and so she was converting oh, him
0: and so nice yeah, missionary um, dating
1: so she converted him and he was i like, wonder if
0: that would i wonder if missionary dating would work on a presbyterian um,
1: Oh no, I, I, I don't know if I want to deal with that, (laughs) but, uh, but, um, it was hard enough for me to get here. Uh, Fellas. uh, you and Joe. (laughs) So the amount, but
0: I want to, I want to veer off onto baptism.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, But then I'll get back to the story about how I finished, but yes. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, I want to veer off on that because um, how many times were you baptized, you think? Just Um, the once?
1: I think actually just once, yeah.
0: Just the once? Yeah, I think I only ah. got
1: baptized once. Um, Yeah.
0: Do you know anybody that was baptized more than once?
1: Um, I probably did. I don't really know. Um, how
0: many altar calls have you responded to?
1: Uh, too many to count.
0: Too many to count. Do you think this was a question on Twitter I got for this? Do you think altar calls are sort of like a pseudo sacrament in those churches?
1: Yeah, I do think so. I think the way that we, that altar calls are seen are, um, It's kind of the place where you go to get right with God, like, so to speak. So there's kind of this really convicting message in the sermon, or as it is more commonly known, colloquially, the message Mm -hmm. of the day. And it's usually something that really tugs at all the guilt and garbage in your soul and makes you feel awful. But then there's also something slightly assuaging at the end. And the most assuaging thing to do is to come up with your guilty heart and pray with somebody and, and then, um, kind of feel like you've, you've made your peace with God. And I do think there is some, there is room for that in Christianity, even within Lutheranism to say, okay, I need to pray with, you know, maybe need support from a fellow believer to pray about something. Obviously going to confession and absolution is like having the, like, best prayer partner experience because you get to like confess your sin and then be absolved and it's great. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot different and like there is room for contrition and there should be room for guilt within a proper practice, um, of, of the faith. But I think with, with altar calls, it's like, it's very odd because it's almost treated as if you're receiving salvation multiple, multiple, again. like again and again yeah. and again. And like, yes, you are when you receive the sacrament, like you are being you are being saved like in a continuous action. But it's like an ongoing thing, whereas it just it's a little bit different with the way that altar calls kind of make you feel like but it, it kind of implies that not enough has been done. Yeah. Um well so, I
0: think I think yeah. part of it is is that um there's no there's no remedy. So In the Old Testament, if you read through the big sacrifices, I think there's like five of them in the Old Testament, like the peace offering and the whatever and the whatever, the sin offering and the guilt offering, whatever. Mm -hmm. If you go and read through the big sacrifices in the Old Testament, they all end the exact same way. And the way they end is depart at peace with God. That's how these big sacrifices end. and Outside of Lutheranism, our church specifically, the last thing we say is depart We're at in. peace with God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I don't know outside of Lutheranism. I don't know where that I don't know that that's found anywhere because the. The altar call. It's it's they 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 put this altar call on you and, and this this big guilt of this sermon. And the whole reason you go up to the front is because you don't know where you stand with God and you need, you said you do it to get right with God because it's a church that doesn't tell you you're already right with God Mm -hmm. because of Jesus. You are at peace with God.
1: Yeah. I think also what's interesting is calling it an altar call when there's not really a Mm -hmm. physical altar.
0: (laughs) No, no. Um, well, like, and, and the church I grew up in, there was, there was an altar and it was oh. in front of the pulpit.
1: Interesting. Cause we don't really have like, well, like the church I grew up in didn't really have like a specific like table that looked like an altar. So like,
0: so it was we like a, had, the
1: platform stage thing.
0: Yeah. Well, so we had, we had a stage, we had a stage that, you know, you had your big choir in the very, very back of the mm-hmm. church. And it was more an auditorium because what I grew up in what was at the time a Pentecostal mega church. Mm-hmm. Uh a part of the Pentecostal Holiness, the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. So we had when I was growing up there two thousand people a Sunday. Whoa. And yeah. And so that dwindled over time. Mm-hmm. By the time I moved out to Arizona after high school, we were looking at um maybe five hundred people, six hundred people a Sunday. That's still huge. And now Nowadays it's maybe a hundred and it's wild because the auditorium, it's an auditorium and it's just empty. Um but it's uh wow. yeah. But they had a big stage and they had the choir in the back, and then in front of the choir area, they had the pulpit right in the middle, mm-hmm. which they would move on and off stage. During worship, it was off stage, so that we had like our seven or eight singers up front that were like leading the worship. And then when they would vacate before the sermon, they'd move the pulpit to the center of the stage. Yeah. And then down on the floor in front of the stage, they had an actual altar, like you would imagine in a Lutheran church, like an actual altar.
1: Like a table. There. Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: And it had words on the front. I don't remember what they were, but whenever we had communion, the elements were always set on the altar in front of the church with nice white linen over it.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Ours are always in trays, like those silver disc trays.
0: Yeah, same, yeah. same, but on the altar in front of the church.
1: We didn't have that, I don't believe. I don't remember that. Um. So I always thought it was like, okay, like, yes, altar is something that you hear a lot in like the bible obviously like old testament but i was like the general altar area is just like the general front of the church even though it's not the same as like having like a high altar like you're in a traditional like anglican lutheran episcopal anglican catholic catholic church with like an altar so it's just really interesting like there is even though the sacrament has been kind of removed from the context. There's still an acknowledgement that the altar is where you go to meet God. I mean, cause that's yeah. how it is in the old Testament. And like, that is a very old Testament thing. And so like, even if it is, you know, something that we wouldn't, we wouldn't conf that Lutherans don't confess um that the sacrament is not efficacious. We don't confess that, that it's not efficacious. Um It's really interesting that The altar was still important to groups that didn't believe in the efficacy of the sacrament of the altar. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it's like you can you can view it one of two ways, like how tragic, but also in some way, a silver lining that there was still something held on to. Um, Well, it's
0: like it's like baptism being retained even for the ironically named Baptists who still Mm -hmm. baptize in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. We're, we're still, we are still, uh, keeping the Lord is still doing that work. Yes. Even though they don't realize it and don't recognize it. He's still there doing the thing.
1: Yes. And that, that is something that I've always thought about. Like, okay, even though I did not understand all what was occurring at that time, I still, received so many beautiful blessings of uh, of grace and faith in in ways i wasn't even aware of at the time like just having like certain things like reverence instilled in me and having received baptism and like having learned a few hymns and just kind of Hearing the word of God a lot, like I was like, it helped me when I looked in retrospect to not see it all as some like tragic waste or something to be bitter about. I was like, oh wow, like yes, there were some hard parts and things that you know I wish would have been better, but oh okay, like there is still a lot here, even though a lot has been taken out, which is you know that's unfortunate, but it's a it, it at least like trying to see Christ through all of it, kind of. I guess ameliorates some of the other other aspects.
0: It's amazing what the Lord can redeem.
1: Yes. Indeed. That,
0: that he can redeem even that time. Yes. So I've said this before on this podcast, um, but I want to get your take on it because this is my firm belief here.
1: Okay. I have all people- the takes.
0: <laughs> okay. Great. Great. Uh, I want you to pick your spiciest hottest take for this oh, right no. here.
1: Okay.
0: So it is my firm belief that that these kinds of charismatic Protestant traditions are amazing at teaching people to memorize scripture. But at the end of the day, they don't actually know the Bible, but they do know Bible verses. I concur. Does that make sense? Yes. Like we can drop Jeremiah 29 11, you know quick, fast, and in a hurry, but uh, do we know the context of that? No.
1: No. I think that's something that I noticed a lot is, like, I know biblical references. I'm like, I've gotten terrible Like, my my memory has probably atrophied on a lot of things <laughs> um, like that, but I had a lot of things memorized, and there's some things there that, that you know, even if you don't understand the context, that doesn't mean that there's not um, generative power in the word, and that there isn't something mm. spiritually nourishing there. It's just there's more to be gained with better context. Um,
0: it's like it's like you're just sipping the broth out of the soup instead of eating all the soup, but the veggies and yeah. the meat and everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I would agree. Like I I was part of like a um this thing called Junior Bible Quiz when I was. In, I don't know if you heard of that. <laughs> That, like it nope. was this cool thing where we had um, like these like flashcards with like facts about the Bible and like questions about the Bible. So there was a question and answer, and like mm-hmm. you would have this thing where we had like a buzzer. Like we would go to competitions, and like you would have all these questions memorized, and they were like all across different churches. So mm-hmm. you would have these buzzers that were connected to this like beep box, and they had like the light that were connected to each cord's <laughs> buzzer, and so. Um, the thing is, it would be a competition to see who can push the buzzer the quickest and answer <laughs> the question properly. And so if you interrupted during when the the announcer was saying the question, you had to finish the question from memory and then oh, give the answer. Wow. Yeah. So like they really wanted you to have stuff down and... So like, there was a lot to be gained from that. And then also just like, I was homeschooled. So I did a, um, like a, a Baptist Christian, uh, curriculum for a while where like, I had large passages of scripture memorized. And then when I was at church, I had some scripture memorized for, um, some children's church volunteering. I did when I was in like, for like late, uh, late elementary and, um, middle school. So like there were lots of opportunities to have things memorized, but I don't know if I ever got to a point of synthesis or really like processing mentally and making connections with like what all this means. Um, there were not enough. (laughs) What, (laughs) what does this mean? Uh, Questions going around in my brain at the time. And I think some of that's just a feature of being a young, a, a young student. Um, and, um, just like a young person and not having you know been there the entire time to um, or being you know going up into adulthood to have time to process it all Um, but you know I I think it would have been nice to have some of those connections made a little bit earlier
0: yeah I uh, I invited the boys
1: but you sent it to me
0: Oh, I know, on accident. But then I sent it to the boys. Which boys? The oh, that, I'm sorry. That's what I call the underground. I call oh. it the boys. Like when I'm talking to my wife, I'm like, "Oh, hang on, I gotta, I gotta send this photo to the boys."
1: Oh, I see. So I'm one of the boys. Yeah, yeah.
0: You're one conference. of the boys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: but um, back to how I converted finally. Oh, it's please, this please, yes. So we get through the whole like confusion with baptism and and the Eucharist, like just. My brain just was like, what is that? Um, so I had... Kind of, I think I had gone to Lutheran Church for about a year when I finished those. Um, or like a year and some change or more or less a year-ish. But I still couldn't convert. And then I was going to graduate 2017. So I was 17 years old. And I was trying to like figure out what I was doing for college. And I had applied to Lutheran school, but I hadn't converted yet. So I was like, eh, do I really want to go? I don't know. Mm, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and I had applied to another classical school because I went to classical high school. So I was like trying to, you know, kind of wanted to continue on with my classical education and kind of keep it going. Wanted to keep the steam up. Um, and so I was like, okay, maybe there. Even though it was really far away. And then there was... Um, the university I ended up going to, which was in town and it was Roman Catholic. And they are also very classical. So I was like, okay, like, this is interesting. Um, It's in, like, you know, it's in, like, near my home. So, like, that's nice. And I really liked how religious it was and, like, how religious it was and conservative it was, even though I wasn't Catholic. Um, So I was like, this is going to be kind of a weird experience because it's probably not going to be, like, the easiest place for me to, like date people or fit in but like i'm gonna go anyway (laughs) so um i was like okay i'm gonna go here and i'm excited and then i was like oh yeah but i don't really want to become catholic because like i would rather die than have my parents be mad at me so i was like (laughs) let's be honest (laughs) so like i'm just being honest like it would just you know that that is a big problem what are your parents now Um, My parents are still um, Pentecostal, so they have like that Pentecostal kind of background. Um, And so I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. So I was like, well, I I, I don't really like this sitting and floating around. Like I need to actually believe something before I go to college because otherwise it's just going to be like a dying battle and it's not going to be good. So I was like, okay, Rome, I'm not coming for you. So I'm over again before i walk straight into you um because i was about to walk straight into into college <laughs> so like the actual like three days before i like started freshman orientation i got confirmed um and oh, the wow. church was synod because i had talked to the pastor about it earlier that summer and i was like i still don't really understand all this like eucharist and baptism stuff i was like i don't understand the sacraments and so he got me lutheranism 101 um books on the uh, holy baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I didn't read them like a ton, but I did read a few things in them. And I think the one on baptism was written by a former Pentecostal actually, if I'm not mistaken. And he talked about how like baptism is bifurcated in that tradition where it's like water baptism and baptism, in the Holy spirit rather than being yeah. the Holy spirit mm-hmm. and the water are working together because water and word are kind of combined in this sacrament to um, create new new faith and new life Um, and so I was like whoa that like makes sense and then I was like reading the scripture passages about the Eucharist and I was like well if the Bible says it I can't really disagree with it so like Mm -hmm. I don't my, my brain was still like, no, this isn't how things are. This is not what you actually think. This is not how like you've always thought. But I was like, but if Jesus says it, if the Bible says it, like I can't really argue with that because, you know, like biblical infallibility was like driven into my head. very young yeah, age so i was like Same. if the bible says it you can't argue so i was like yep. amen and i was like okay this is really confusing but here we go and so i really was kind of nervous and like not really sure like how long i would be con- like be a lutheran i was like i have to try something like i don't fully understand what i'm doing right now but like i really just need a church home and i'm really tired and i was like legitimately sad i couldn't commune like i remember When my confirmation um, classmate got to commune for the first time, I was like so sad. But, like, I know that sounds bad, but I was just so sad I wasn't up there, like, being confirmed and joining and like going on with my life. But I was like, I just couldn't, in good conscience, join. I was just so, like, sad. Um, And so, I was really glad I was able to do that later on, but I have a funny, another funny story that you will probably appreciate. Um, but what I did right after I couldn't get confirmed um, that next week, I was like, I'm really sad I couldn't join, so I decided to go to another Assemblies of God church for oh. the next week. And um, there was this woman during worship. She was like one of the worship leaders of this other church, and she like, like screamed or like wailed or like wheeled like squealed like really loud. Mm-hmm. during the service and so we we just did not stay to talk to anybody after that service we, we, we left like <laughs> and then i was at the lutheran church the next week we were like we we, we, we done we out like
0: so. I, so and i remember i remember like ladies running up and down the aisles oh, and, and all this you know and i mm-hmm. wonder now like how would i feel about that and my my wife my sweet sweet wife mm-hmm. um, God bless. She was a blank slate coming into this thing. Really? Um yeah. Oh yeah. She grew up largely uh, disaffected nominal baptist is oh. what I'm going to go with. So like we'll we'll go to the church on the Christmas and the Easter if we have time, but otherwise like uh mm. you know. And and so getting into this, you know, with her and it's so beautiful because like uh, and I say this all the time. I just I love my wife, but mm-hmm. she the only thing she knows is the Bible and the small catechism. And that's it. And it's so beautiful because there are times where I will like I will be doing something and I'll be mad at someone for saying something. And she'll be like, well, shouldn't we maybe put like a better construction on that? Like Eighth Commandment, you know, like we shouldn't. We shouldn't be mad about that particular thing when it could be understood this way. I don't know. It's so beautiful. She is. Yeah. She's great. Uh, I would love to take her to a Pentecostal church one day just to see, like, look, look at what they're doing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's really interesting. Um, It, It's it's, I I don't mean in any way to disrespect them or anything like that. It's just, it's just a radically different way of thinking. And there is, there's a lot of, a lot of good there, but there's a lot of things that are, are not quite right. Um, from, from where I stand now. And, you know, there is an element of like, you know, um, you know, respect for that, that tradition, but also like, there are some elements of pain, You know, in 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 looking back, you know, like okay, there are times where my conscience was unnecessarily burdened um, because of just things I didn't understand um, or things that weren't communicated. um, Or speaking
0: of speaking of a burdened conscience, um, very
1: Lutheran problem.
0: Yes, (laughs) very Lutheran. But (laughs) also a very a very uh, there's a very Lutheran answer for that. Yes. so, and if any of you need the answer to that, please DM me. I'll give it to you. So, welcome
1: uh, to the book of Concord. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, do you, th- this was the most asked question by far because mm-hmm. I had put out on Twitter that I was doing this. Um, did you ever feel the need to fake the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit?
1: I, I think so. Um the the odd thing about it is it's it's never it's never explicitly taught um this way, but I do think maybe maybe it was just like my youth group or something. Um there was kind of this implicit um there was always a little bit of an implicit judgment if you didn't raise your hands at church or if there was implicit yeah. um, kind of judgment if if you didn't have never, the gift, spoken, if in you've tongues. never spoken like, oh, what's wrong mm-hmm. with you? Like you, you clearly are spiritually deficient in some way or you need to get right with God so that like you can have the gift. And like, yeah. not everyone was like that, but it's just sometimes I think because it was something so common to th- that people wanted to, to receive, I think people, at least the way I kind of processed it was just, oh, well, there's something wrong with me if I don't have it or, or if I'm not feeling the spirit enough, or if I don't, you know, you know, have the same type of movement within my soul or my heart to kind of want to to pour myself out in a in a certain way and um so i do think there was a part of me that was maybe not trying to be fake to be deceptive actively but a part of me that was probably living in a little bit of denial (laughs) um and just trying try trying you know maybe not even being aware that i was denying something but just trying to trying to be open and trying to kind of facilitate a certain type of religious experience. um, Mm -hmm. That wasn't necessarily um, the most genuine um, experience.
0: It's, it's wild because I remember, I remember specifically the speaking in tongues thing being something that um, I was never comfortable with, Mm -hmm. and everyone would say, oh, you just have to open your mouth and just kind of leap in faith. And it wasn't, I mean, it it was probably several years of hearing that. Um, I remember I was on my way home with my mom. I was like six or seven years old. And I said, mom, I want to be a Christian. And that was like, that was for me the moment um that i can always look back on you know like i remember that very clearly but it was a good 6 years 7 years after that before i did any kind of speaking in tongues or mm-hmm. anything like that and it and everyone always said oh you just have to take that leap in faith and finally when i was like 14 i was like well maybe that leap in faith is where I'll just say, like, show Rabakanda and then just kind of start, you know, like, oh you know, just like saying random gibberish. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that's, and it was fake. Right. But it's one of those things where like everybody else is doing the same thing and I'm doing what they're doing. And then after a while, sort of like you buy into it. Right.
1: Mm hmm. I mean, like, I think there were times where I genuinely thought like I was like saying the things that were like inspired, but like it's it's just like such a confusing experience because like even while I was saying things, I was like, am I just making this up and like being like inspired or is this like me just like trying really, really, really hard and like not really sure what's going on. And I don't even know what that 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 act like that true gift of the spirit I do not I mean I will not know until that is given to me or I'm in heaven or something that 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 gift you know how how, what that experience looks like and you know I think generally Lutherans don't think that that's something given to the church as of like you know in this era of the church
0: history I, I would say I would say that tongues is given to the church and even now in this era in history um, interesting I would I would say that the gift of tongues has understood in a charismatic context is incorrect mm. I would say that the gift of tongues is the spontaneous and native knowledge of a language that you hitherto did not know mm-hmm. so if I were let's say I were flying to Japan for vacation and and my flight got stopped over in China, and I got detained in China, unexpectedly. And I go to preach the gospel to the people that are detaining me, mm-hmm. and fluent Chinese falls out of my mouth, and I had no idea how to speak Chinese prior to mm-hmm. that. That's that's what I would call the gift of tongues.
1: Okay.
0: Um, the, it's it's interesting though because at the time when you are doing these things when you're, when you're involved in the service and you're, you're doing the gibberish as the gift of tongues. There's, like you said, those doubts pop in your mind. Is this really God speaking? And when you're in the moment, when you're there, when you're doing the thing, you're saying, Oh, that's the devil. Let me get that out of my mm-hmm. mind. It is God. But now looking back from a Lutheran perspective, you're like, man, that was probably the Holy Spirit. Like, Hey, is this really what God is saying? Or yeah. are you just making stuff up?
1: It's really interesting because, like, I rarely did that within the church context. like, within church. Like, it was usually done privately at home. I mm. mean, sometimes at church, too. But, like, it's really interesting because, like, as we know, with all churches, there are different veins of, mm-hmm. of tradness or, like, old <laughs> schoolness within the church. So, you know, right. like some of that speaking in tongue stuff was a little bit more like common with like people who are a little bit on like the older, more traditional end who had been like in that church, you know, tradition for a little bit longer. Some of the young people weren't as into talking about the specific Pentecostal ish stuff, you know? Yeah. So I think especially like being in youth group, that wasn't like, it was more just like generic youth group cringe, than like <laughs> right. than like let us be like Pentecostal in confessionally Pentecostal or something like that. Right? You Is know? there
0: a confessionally Pentecostal? I don't think I so. I
1: think there are specific like Pentecostal confessions. Like there are some documents. Like I know they exist. There are eleven points made to memorize in confirmation class. But I don't remember <laughs> what they were.
0: Great job memorizing that I I,
1: I had the Ten Commandments memorized as a child, and I have also forgotten those. So,
0: dude, okay. So, how disappointing? How disappointing was it to memorize the Ten Commandments and then get to Lutheranism and realize you memorized them wrong
1: in the wrong order? That's the worst. I know.
0: That's the worst. It's just like (laughs) to re memorize them. I
1: know. So I guess, like, I guess it's good that I forgot them all. No, it's not good. I shouldn't forget (laughs) the law of God. Like I know, like oh yeah, that's not okay. And like, that's not okay. But like, I don't have them like pristinely memorized in their proper numbering or whatever.
0: Um, Yeah. Okay. So I've only read like half the only read like half the catechism. I can't say I've ever read the whole thing. Uh, But let Mm -hmm. me give you some solid advice for the 10 commandments. Mm -hmm. So say the 10 commandments along with your morning prayers at the very end. So my morning prayers, my morning prayers... prayers, (laughs) Oh, yeah, you do. My morning prayer is I get up and I do the Apostles Creed, Mm -hmm. the Lord's Prayer, Luther's Morning Prayer, the Hail Mary and the Jesus Prayer. And I know that there's one in there that's going to get me in trouble and that's okay. Uh, But then after the Jesus Prayer, I recite the Ten Commandments. And reciting the Ten Commandments every day, you memorize them after a while. Now, the way you view the Ten Commandments is what is the obvious breaking of this thing? And then what is the most extreme keeping of this thing? Uh, And if you view it that way, you will nine out of ten times be able to verbalize what Luther, Luther wrote in the catechism without actually having to memorize what Luther wrote in the catechism. Because more important than what he wrote is like why he wrote it. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So if you're, if you look at like the sixth, uh, the sixth commandment that you shall not commit adultery and you think, okay, so what is the ultimate keeping of this? What's being faithful to my spouse? Right. The sixth commandment.
1: Yeah. I know that one (laughs) by heart. Someone talks about it.
0: Well, okay. So the fifth commandment murder, um, If you, what's the most extreme keeping of the fifth commandment? How do I, if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, how do I keep the fifth commandment? Well, you shall not murder the, if I'm loving myself, obviously it's, I don't want to be murdered. So then my keeping that for my neighbor, loving my neighbor as myself, the fifth commandment, the ultimate keeping of it is that I will do everything I can to prevent my neighbor from being murdered. Right. Mm-hmm. I will protect my neighbor and body and, 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 and all things. I, I will protect my neighbor's wealth instead of stealing. I will protect my neighbor's wealth and help him add to it if I can. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so this is, that's how I view the 10 commandments. And I find it's very easy to hit what Luther wrote without actually having to memorize it word for word.
1: I know. If I, if that makes sense. I was trying to do that, like trying to memorize the small catechism, but, uh, for Lent, one year it just didn't happen at all. I was just like in the middle of college, and it didn't work. But
0: Joe get- Joe gave me a great book called "Praying the Catechism" by John Pless.
1: Oh, okay, and I've heard it, of that. It
0: literally it takes every single part of the catechism and breaks it into a prayer.
1: That's awesome. And yeah, you
0: can spend twenty five minutes and just pray through the catechism.
1: That's awesome. I need to get back into morning prayers. It's something I I realized last night. I was like, oh, I should probably do that. It's all right. It's okay. We, we all have our journeys. That's um, right. Yeah. but That's right. Yeah. And prayer. prayer I don't do, do
0: evening prayers. I should do evening prayers.
1: Well, there's like, morning and evening prayer in the, co- in the catechism. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of catechisms. So I was researching different like Lutheran texts that I might want to translate in the future. Um, and I found that Justice Jonas had his own catechism. Um, and I had no idea that was a thing I feel like Justice Jonas is one of those um, types of like Lutheran fathers that's kind of like John Jay when you think about like Publius in like the American founding context you have like Madison and Hamilton and like um You know, like writing. I think it's Madison mm-hmm. Hamilton who wrote most of the the Federalist Papers, and then you have like three from John Jay, and he just kind of gets forgotten. Three Federal. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I i read a lot of Federalist Papers in college, and like I always joked they were like the Bible of our politics degree because they they use like, used right. them, like yeah. every class. But it's just like I always thought well, it, that like he's important. It's but like he's it's forgotten. like Habakkuk.
0: It's like Habakkuk of the Bible. Like who's read Habakkuk? Nobody has I read know, Habakkuk.
1: Or like I don't I don't know. There's so many like that. Like um. Is it Obadiah like
0: <laughs> right? You know, yeah, just yeah. like was, uh, just the all of the minor prophets.
1: I know. I feel bad for them. It's like just because you're minor doesn't mean you're not important. You're, you're not minor es- to me. You're all essential.
0: You're all major to me.
1: Yes, you're all major prophets. Um, it's like Isaiah, who? <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> he got nothing on my boy Amos.
1: I know. I know. Wow. Hmm.
0: Anyway, catechism. No,
1: oh, yeah, but the catechism. Um, there, they, he has his own catechism. But I was like, okay, this is kind of like a hefty project. It's like like several hundred pages. So I was like, oh, I can't just like translate that like over a summer or something. I mean, like I could if I wanted to go insane. I mean, maybe I could, but um, but um, I thought that would be really interesting to. Um, have it have it translated and published as another Mm -hmm. like kind of like devotional resource for Lutherans um so maybe one day if I can get that like financially commissioned or something that would be kind of cool um to have more catechetical like historical catechetical material out there not to say that there's anything insufficient with what we already have in terms of like the small and large catechism of Luther um but like if someone wants something more or different um or um, anything like that, that might be kind of kind of nice because you know, sometimes like there's nothing wrong with those catechisms. just like sometimes like people use them a lot and like maybe you want to see things from a different perspective, or maybe you have it memorized already and you want something a little right. newer. you know, something like that. I don't I don't want to get in too much hate for that um, <laughs> take, but, um, yeah, that is something that I found kind of interesting that like we do have other, We do have other um, catechisms within our tradition, and I had no clue until yeah, absolutely last week or two weeks ago or something.
0: Yeah, well, it's um, it's a deep, it's a deep and and rich tradition, and it's one that I think uh, goes all the way back to Christ. So
1: I'm willing to
0: claim literally everything all the way back. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, I, I love I love that as a Lutheran we get to we get to like de- so I always tell people like depending on the crowd I'm in I'm either Catholic, Protestant or Orthodox. It just really depends on the context.
1: Yeah, I know. The- it's like do I want to you know, do this or that or the other thing. Like I was, I, I had my, I was walking um, in the old, old town um, where a coffee shop, I was hanging out with my best friend. She's Roman Catholic. And we were walking mm-hmm. past this, this liquor store and it looked really cool. Cause it like most liquor stores are like kind of sketchy and like, I would not walk into them, but this was like yeah. in a nicer area of town. And like, it was kind of in like a you know, cute little upscale, like old town with like cobblestone, very aesthetic. And I was like, we're walking past it and like she tugged the door and I was like, Oh, it's closed. I was like, We live in a Protestant country, ugh. And I was like, I'm like, walking and I was like, oh wait, it's Sunday. I forgot. I was like, I was like, oops, like, what's my issue? Mm-hmm. That's but, great. No, yeah. Just and she's like laughing. I was like, well, she's like, it's I was like, yeah, it's Sunday, I forgot. <laughs> oops. <laughs>
0: So we had a couple of people pop in every once and again Mm -hmm. to listen live as we were recording this. And if you are very interested in doing the same, I would encourage you to join the Lutheran Answers Patreon. I'm going to make that a thing where I send you the link to pop in live and listen to these things. Oh, very Uh, fun. All of it. Yeah. All of it goes to help me run this podcast, which does cost me money. So oh my
1: goodness. Uh,
0: yeah, right now it's a labor of love, but we will get there. Rachel, thank you so much for coming by.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Remy. It's good to finally be on the, on the radio with you.
0: Yeah, it was, yeah. The internet radio though. Internet the, radio. You've already been on issues, et cetera, which is the real radio.
1: Well, there's, this is real radio to me too.
0: Okay. Well, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for Todd to reach out uh, to interview me on issues, et cetera. Todd. Uh, uh reach out, bud. I'm here. I love you. Thank I love you. you.
1: Todd. <laughs> He's the best.
0: Rachel, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.